1: Welcome to Woodstock Nation. Your host, Marla Davies.
0: It's Woodstock Nation, the podcast celebrating the revolution, evolution, and the life-changing magic of music festivals from Woodstock to today. I'm one of the producers of Woodstock Nation, the documentary, which is due out this 50th anniversary year. And we are so excited today because we've got the one, the only, Nancy Nevins. Nancy, hi. So great to have Ooh. you on the show. <laughs> hi. Hi, Nancy. Wow, Nance. Well, that's a great intro. Well, it's Love just, that. we're just such a, it's such a treat to have you on the podcast. Nancy was in the band Sweetwater and played at Woodstock. You were one of only five women that yeah. were on the bill at Woodstock, including Janice and Joan Baez, uh, yeah. Grace Slick, Melanie, and you. So, yeah, pretty much. That's it, and now there's only
2: really two of us. Janice died. Yeah. Grace retired decades ago. Yeah. Music doesn't even want to talk about it. And Joan Baez is retiring this year. She played her last show in Spain. And now the only two left who are functioning and around and about are myself and Melanie.
0: Yes, Melanie I think so, Melanie still perf- performs occasionally.
2: Yes, exactly. And, you know, what? here's the irony of all that. There were about 104 male performers.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, the times minimum. they have a, a change. You know, when I first started in radio, we were not allowed to play two artists back to back that were female.
2: Wow. Right?
0: And, I mean, that isn't that long ago. And things yeah. have changed in a good direction, but it's taken a, you know, it's taken a, a while. They've got a ways to
2: go. They've got a ways to go. I mean, all of the w- women coming in. I think show business is like the last bastion of something, you know, good for women happening because there's still a lot of sexism. Uh, Alex called it sex pop, you know, dancing girls and minimum clothes and all that. But, um,
0: you know, it is it is starting it is is finally coming our way, but you. I mean, you were in Sweetwater, which was a cool band. I mean, I read a little. I mean, I read some stuff. I don't know if it's true, but they said that you basically mm-hmm. the band was playing and you were in high school and you just jumped up on stage and started singing with them and you were fantastic. And they said, "You're hired." Is that kind of how it went? Well, no, but oh. <laughs> kind of uh, up to the very
2: end. But uh, you know, they they were just a, kind of a funny little bunch. And um, they didn't have a singer. But they, I wandered into a coffee house on my way home. I was a kind of a rare re- rebellious high schooler. And the only thing I did really well in was music classes. So, and I mean, it because it was natural, not because I was trying. It was just something that was so easy for me. Everything else was pretty poor. Anyway, I was on my way home one night. It was like a Tuesday night. And I pulled into this coffee shop, and, or I pulled up to the street. It was down on Melrose near City College. And I went in, and they were just a ramshack, a little bunch in there. It was a storefront, a small storefront, and they were playing in the window of this small storefront. Just a couple of guys. They were riffing. They were riffing uh, back and forth to courts, and I just heard Motherless Child in there. And I started singing. You know, I just had no inhibitions and I just started singing. So the flute player could see that something was going on and he beckoned me up to the mic. And we did that for a long time. We just jammed a motherless child with these two chords and it was sort of fun. And then I I just decided to go home. I was 17. Mm -hmm. People who are 17 are not really tightly wrapped like me. Anyway, off I went. I went home, and then Alex found me. I don't remember how he did it, but one day I got a phone call soon after that, and it was a keyboard player. Alex, he said, do you want to join our band? I said, well, I don't know.
0: Oh, it wasn't like a dream come true. You're like, i got to think about this.
2: It wasn't a dream come true. There wasn't such things in those days. I mean, now you have young girls with big voices getting groomed, right? They have to have... Facebook pages and managers and all this stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: There was none of that. then. Yeah, we didn't have computers. We didn't. The music business wasn't really. I mean, rockers were always getting ripped off and blues singers. And yeah, I, I didn't have any aspirations for that. I don't know what I was going to do. I was just a rolling stone. So I said, okay. Why not? <laughs> you know, there was 26 of them in the beginning, and they were called Jay Walker and the Pedestrians. Okay. And yeah, it was a crazy bunch. Just We were like, a, we have always been integrated and diverse. It was like a mini United Nations. Yeah. Anyway, we, t- we played one gig, but it was so awful. It was really hard to stop and start because everybody just played whatever.
0: Yeah, you were just jamming. And- you were a
2: jam band yeah i didn't particularly care for that so i just you know we got i got out of there then i went to my high school graduation and that was sort of okay i had a partial scholarship to cal arts as a composition
0: major oh my okay
2: that was that's a bigger feather to me now than it was then yeah it didn't mean anything to me then by that time by the time i graduated Sweetwater was born and that we were eight of those 26 crazy Jay Walker people and Alex was sort of spearheading it and we broke away and uh, set up in his parents' house in Silver Lake, long gone now. But uh, Alex brought in Fred, the bass player, because they knew each other. They played many gigs, bar gigs and things together. And we started becoming Sweetwater.
0: And so and what was year about, was
2: this? About 1967.
0: Okay, yeah, Summer of Love, right? And so you yeah. you got to play with a lot of people. I mean, you got a record deal out of it, and you, you played right probably away. a lot of festivals, I'm thinking. I thought, you know, you played with Hendrix and things before Woodstock, before you guys played oh, yeah. at Woodstock, right? Oh, yeah. We
2: played with everybody. It was, it was a big circuit, and we had a really gung-ho manager. Man, this guy was... He was, his, <laughs> the name of his management company was Shady Management. Oh. <laughs> Tell you something. He was a mover and a shaker. And this guy got us everything. We worked everywhere. Honest to God, we did Mar. We played
0: everywhere. We right. played
2: every single festival around the country.
0: Before Woodstock. So you, you, did, you, did you happen yeah. to play Monterey Pop? I'm not sure about that.
2: We did not, but did we not, went okay. to it oh you went we as standing, a, okay yeah, we went to just see it okay and it was there at the scene of monterey that we we chose our name because we had been standing around in the kitchen and alex's parents trying to figure out what to call ourselves and we went to monterey and the flute player got up in the morning and splashed his face with water from a creek and i said don't do that, it's dirty, filthy water. He said, oh, it's not filthy, he said, sweet water. And a little cartoon (laughs) light came on over our heads and we ran up and told the rest of the band, sweet water, so that was how, I mean, just like a cartoon, this whole story is unbelievable, but that is what happened. And so, but we stood at Monterey, turns out Monterey had a big effect on Alex, the keyboard player. He just loved
0: that. He's that's what I want to do. Well, what did I you think? Play. What did you think about the, I the festival scene? Did you, did you like being in a big crowd with a you know a bunch no. of different bands? Oh, you didn't like it at all? No, it didn't appeal to me.
2: But it appealed to him because he's he's a pretty smart guy and he could see the future.
0: And he said he knew yeah. you had to get involved, but. It, so, because a lot of people love the big festival scene. I mean, we just had the no. outside lands this weekend, big San Francisco festival, three-day festival. And, you know, everybody goes for three days, just kind of like a Woodstock thing. And people get dirty and they camp out and they, you know, you know how it goes. But that is not a That's Nancy not Nevins kind of thing. no.
2: Uh-uh. I'm a hotel room guy. <laughs> yeah.
0: I can't help it. You know, it's just the way I am. Hey, at least you're honest about it. Now, so we were talking about the five women that played Woodstock. Do you guys, do you know each other? I mean, because you're sort of an elite group. So you really don't know, you know, Joan or, you you know, anybody, Melanie. You don't know. uh, I reached out
2: to Melanie a few years ago because I thought what a cool show we could put on together. Okay. You know, reminiscing and playing and all that. But I couldn't, she wasn't really into it. I reached out to her, uh, few, it was, I trying to remember what it was, but she was back east and I was out here anyway.
0: Ooh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think she always stayed back east. Uh, so the, you, you guys, manager, you girls, you girls don't have like a, you know, Woodstock reunion, you know. No. Little girls no. night out or anything, nothing like no. that. Didn't happen. I, I, you know, I can totally understand that. Hey, I'm talking to Nancy Evans. She is in the band Sweetwater. They played Woodstock 50 years ago. It seems like a long time, huh, Nance? 50 years ago, and yeah, it
2: feels it feels pretty current though. It does.
0: It like just like yesterday. It's like the weirdest We're thing. We're doing
2: a lot of fun things
0: right now. Oh, the yeah, the band is still active. So we'll be back with Nancy in just a second. It's Woodstock Nation and more after this.
1: Woodstock Nation.
0: OK, we're with Nancy Nevins from Sweetwater and the band 50 years ago played Woodstock and still mm-hmm. doing. I know. So does it just seem like yesterday? I mean, when you look back, is it the kind of thing like, boy, time really flies? You know, it makes it seem like yesterday
2: has all the attention we're getting now. Uh, for example, we've been playing a lot. We went We went to New York a couple weeks ago. And they have a big annual festival back there. We played it. We played it this Port Washington Library back then. We had a really good time. And um, they, the Fred and Alex, the only other two living Sweetwater members, were at Bethel a few months ago. Okay. And they were, gave a little talk there. And I couldn't go because I had so, another commitment here on the West Coast, so I didn't go. But um, anyway, you know, a lot's been happening. Then we played recently Rhino, which is Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers in March moved from Burbank to a downtown LA, big building downtown LA, and they moved all their record labels into this building Atlantic, Warner's, Degrees, Rhino. And Rhino had a big release party about 10 days ago for uh, its Woodstock package, for the 50 year Woodstock package.
0: Yeah, we have a box set too. I mean, everybody, Woodstock is just. Right now, on top of mind for you know for everyone, it's
2: huge. Yeah, it's huge. We
0: played at that party. They hired oh, okay. us.
2: to Play at that party. What an honor that was! It was just a little cocktail party, four thirty to six for this big promotion, but they treat us like real rock stars. Nice. <laughs> we were like, wow, this is amazing. So it was a lot of fun. We did twenty. So we hired some other guys because there's only three of us. We're not a band when we get together, but we got a musician and a percussionist and top-of-the-line flute player and cello. Great. And so we sounded like the old days. Oh, that's and, fun. Um,
0: that's awesome that you guys got, you know, you're still together. You know, you're still a band. You're still hanging and doing it.
2: Well, the three of us are. And, and you know, we're all
0: old, but we have... Still got some skills, got some chops. Well, yeah, you have a beautiful singing voice. I'm glad you brought this up. Let's listen to something. This is a recording that you did in Sausalito, the Sa- Sausalito Art Festival 10 years oh, ago. Oh, that was fun. hmm in 2009. this is you playing guitar, singing solo, and you're doing Motherless Child. So let's hear this on Woodstock Nation with Nancy Nevins from Sweetwater, the Woodstock Nation podcast.
1: Woodstock Nation.
2: Sometimes I feel like a motherless child And I'm alone And I'm alone
0: We're with Nancy Nevins from Sweetwater. We're so we're talking about you guys are still gigging and doing all that good yeah. stuff. But yeah in the day fifty years ago, now you guys played at Woodstock and you you drove in your tour bus, is that right? You didn't get helicoptered in is that correct? No, we did. We oh, didn't you did. we did we did, were we drove in cars. Oh. We were at the Holiday Inn. Okay. Everyone was right. Everyone was at the Holiday Inn. Oh, I don't know about everyone. Oh, okay. We got
2: there, and, and they didn't even know who we were. They gave us two rooms. Okay. And the resentment of my life is they gave John Baez ten rooms. Oh. Said, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we had eight people in two rooms, and finally nobody knew what was going on. It was everything you've ever heard about Woodstock chaos. Finally, we, we really had to get on because... The whole reason we went on first was Alex, our keyboard player, was in the Air Force Reserve and we had to get him back to Riverside, California by six in the morning Saturday. That's why we
0: played first.
2: Okay. we were supposed
0: to. You are supposed to play first, but you were the first band because Richie Havens had to jump in. A few yeah. other people jumped in. Country Joe, I believe. So when you guys, so you you did get helicoptered in, which is pretty exciting, I would think. We were the first band to be
2: helicoptered in because our cars got stuck. Okay. Everybody was abandoning their car and just walking away. Right. And we got stuck on this one-lane country road. We kept saying in the hotel, we got to get there, we got to get there. So finally, we jumped in the cars and then got stopped, and we got stopped by... Next to a pasture, a farmhouse and a pasture, and the guy said, "Oh, duh, we'll get helicopters." So we were the first ones in on helicopters.
0: Okay, what did that seem like when you were flying over top of the crowd? I mean, did it blow you away? No, it (laughs) blew Alex away. It didn't blow me away. I was so worried about getting
2: him back. Okay, he was looking at the people, going, "Holy crap!" I did notice it. I don't. Don't get me wrong. I didn't notice it, but I was obsessed with getting him back. And we were professionals. We'd been playing all over. we played all these festivals. We were so we we're just going to do, you know, just showtime. Yeah, yeah, sure. But uh, everything about Woodstock was really everything you've ever heard. It was a mess. <laughs> the,
0: the stage wobbled. Oh, did it really? So oh my! The
2: microphone was were uh, the monitor. There were no monitors. We could hear each other. So the, the fact there were so many people there was the least of our concerns. We had a lot of equipment problems and getting there. And the, the way the show actually happened was Richie Havens went on. Then the Swami Satya Donata went on mm-hmm. and chanted. And then we arrived. Okay. So McDonald went on the next day. He was maybe stoned or something somewhere. I don't know why he thought that. But
0: okay. Andy Zax Tom talked him out of it. Andy Zax
2: is a producer of the... Package,
0: Okay. So you guys went on and did your set. Were you nervous in front of all these people or were you kind of like, Hey, I'm used to it. I'm, I'm a professional. I'm used to it. I was upset about the fact that
2: the people were not at our feet. This was the first time that a media pit was
0: used. Okay.
2: And they were at our feet. Media, photojournalists. Yeah. And it's I, you know, for me personally, it's pretty hard to sing to a camera lens. Yeah. I just wasn't into it. And so I had that going. I was like really aware that, oh, plastic city here. And the people were 20 feet away from me. In the front of this, there was a wall walling them in. And beyond that wall were people. And I was reaching out to sing to them because we had a lot of fun with the people. They were usually right at our feet and we just played.
0: Right. So you felt a little detached from the crowd then. And it was a huge crowd.
2: Yeah, terribly detached. And it wasn't raining yet.
0: That's good. And, uh, you know,
2: and so we were just kind of, Fred always makes a joke. He says, we were the sound check for Woodstock. (laughs) In in a way, we were. As it turns out, there was guys in a soundtrack, some soundtrack somewhere nearby there, not even knowing what
0: to plug in for us. Oh, yeah, yeah. You were the test pilot, kind of.
2: We were the test pilot. And there were no monitors, and it was tough. But even so, I do want to add that we got that crowd on their feet. That was such a good crowd. Woodstock was never about the music. It has always been about the people. And that's why they can't redo it. That's why they can't, they try to copy it. And this latest effort just fell apart because ego and money got in the way of profit. But Woodstock wasn't about that. It was about this amazing audience. Those people were loving and accepting and they had unity. And they, you know, they would have loved anything. They would have love dancing dogs or poodles. You know, they were, just, <laughs> they were, everybody was stoned and happy and rolling around and
0: having a good time. And, you know, they were, that was a great audience. What do you think Nothing it was? Like, what was the magic of the sixties? I mean, do you think anything we could ever be that peaceful? And, you know, now 50 years think, later, I have no idea. I have no idea. I
2: mean, there's all kinds of theories. I mean, there's certainly more people now than there were then. But young people had a magic about them in the 60s that is gone. And I, I would blame materialism just personally because in the 60s, we got by. And, you know, we did stuff on shoestrings. And we had a good time. Everybody was devoted to having a good time and loving each other. You don't see that that much anymore. You see a lot of competition mm-hmm. and a lot of fear. We didn't have as much fear. Of course, Manson came along later in the year and was terrible and all that. But until then, strangers were friends. There were no strangers. You hopped in a car with anybody. Right. And shared joints and everything. It was like no big deal. Now everything's a big deal. I mean, I watch kids being picked up by their parents. And I think, wow, I used to walk home. Yeah. And, uh, of course, it was a different world. It really was a different world. <laughs>
0: it was Well, the and, whole and peace, love, and unity. I mean, it sounds a little, you know, it's like cliche hippie, but I think we need a little more of that these days. We need to come together.
2: We need more faith,
0: mm-hmm. and we don't have
2: much. And I don't mean religion. I mean faith. Faith that we're doing what we should be doing. Faith that we do love each other. You know, faith that that guy's going to catch me. You know that exercise right. where they fall back? Yeah. Nobody will do that in real life.
0: Well, you know, I, you know, with all, when there were the whole fad of everybody, you know, doing, you know, just jumping in the crowd and, you know, moshing and jumping in the air, there's a lot of faith in when you well, jump. That's true. If you jump off the stage and into the crowd, you're really hoping someone's going to catch you. That's true. So there's, good point. We got to, we have to, I think we just really need to think about how, what we have in common with each other instead of our differences. That's just my, Latest take on this whole thing. But I think the 60s really, you know, everybody was up, peace and love. I mean, it it sounds silly, but it's true. Yeah,
2: yeah. And we had a common enemy, that war. And the the Vietnam War was a common enemy to people who weren't in the the service. Of course, the people in the service had a harder time. But, you know, most of us weren't in the service. And we had a common enemy, that
0: war. But your bandmate was in the... Yeah, he was in the Air Force Reserve. So they wouldn't send him to Vietnam. That was why we were panicked. Because if he, he, that was
2: a non-negotiable date.
0: I see.
2: Uh, So so that was a two week training camp. And you can't negotiate that. Anyway, they gave him hell. He went back there and he was late. He didn't make it. We spent the night in a helicopter which ran out of gas. The last helicopter out of there on Friday, we got on it and it was
0: a nightmare, ran out of gas. We oh, thought he was late. Did he have long hair? Did he have to cut his hair, et cetera, et cetera?
2: No, he kept had to keep his hair short, oh, okay. which at the time marked him, Yeah. you know, because everybody had long hair. But he had to keep it short. Sometimes he would put a wig on just because he
0: felt so no. nervous about it. But, oh, so funny. You know,
2: it was funny, but back in the day, short hair
0: was out. Yeah, yeah, everybody hair. had long hair. Long hair was in so. for sure. No, did you get to enjoy Woodstock at all? I mean, you got on, you got no. to perform. No, you didn't stay, and did you, you no. didn't go walk around in the crowd. No, or? no, no. <laughs> none of
2: that. We raced out there and spent spent you know a little while till almost dark, going up and down the hill behind, trying to
0: catch a helicopter and get back. And that was so you didn't really get to enjoy the moment. You know, some of it, this is mythology. And I've been talking to people that went to Woodstock and I'm getting more and more honest answers from folks going, it wasn't that life changing because I mean, I went, I couldn't find my friends. I left early, you know, and a lot of people with real stories. I just talked to a lady today. She said her and her girlfriend went, they came from Boston. They went to the show. Her girlfriend hated it so much. They left within like an hour. Same thing. Oh, wow. And I said to her, "Wow, well, are you still friends with that girl? And she goes, I don't even remember her name. I go, yeah, that was a poor choice. I mean, it was a lot of work to get to Woodstock. I think I would have tried to stay a little bit longer. But, you know, you had a helicopter ride. That's pretty cool. Well,
2: it was all right. But, you know, compared to other festivals, it was really flawed. Okay. There was a lot wrong with that thing. I mean other there were other festivals all over Atlanta, Texas, Florida that were really put together. I mean you had restrooms and you had food and it was cleaned up and you could hear shit and you know everything was great. But not here. Woodstock was not organized.
0: Why do you think it's become such you know, sort of a fairy tale? Why do you think people are still talking about Woodstock fifty years later?
2: Marketing. It's all marketed. It's a moneymaker. Oh, we we'll would suck T-shirts, we we'll suck posters, we we'll suck, you know, CDs. And, you know, it's a mind maker. Why do you think but, it's so
0: famous, though?
2: Uh, More famous than the others. The idea of it. I don't know. I have no idea. I know those guys that we're working at were big promoters, Artie Kohfeld and Michael Lang. Big promoters. They Michael Lang, especially,
0: is really good at pulling a rabbit out of a hat. Mm-hmm. I'm very surprised this thing fell apart. I know. I thought if anybody could do it, it would be Michael Lang. Indeed. It would be him. Yeah. He could do it. But
2: he, I th- he think he just got tired and even he got overwhelmed because they were talking about big bucks for people that weren't even born in 1969.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, why do you think festivals are 50 years later are still so popular? Why do you think kids and anybody go, still goes out to them? I have no idea. I really don't. <laughs> I have no idea. I wouldn't go. You're like, no, thanks. I'll just watch it on TV. I would much rather. Better. It sounds better. It's
2: more fun. You know, you can go sleep in a nice, clean bed, you know. It's like, but people will do that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's something in human beings that just likes to go to the edge. Yeah. I have no idea. But, you know, I've never been a camper. A lot of people adore camping. Yeah. You know, they can't wait for summer and camping and going to Mammoth and all stuff. Not me.
0: Nancy's like, I like my creature comforts here. I like my hotel rooms. What about VIP experiences? Would you be the kind of girl that would maybe go buy into that because it's a little more cushy? Yeah. You, you're <laughs> Totally. You're like, yeah. did you say glamping? Sign me up, right? Yeah. If it didn't cost me anything, I'll do it. But, you know, I don't want to. You don't want to spend Spend the money. Spend money to go get dirty. No. There you go. It's not your gig. No. Well, I love your honesty, Nancy Nevins. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is fun. Well, thank you for being on the Woodstock Nation podcast, for playing Woodstock, for being part of history. I like that. That sounds really good to me. Yeah. Nancy Nevins from Sweetwater. Thanks, Nance. You're welcome and keep on rocking, dude. Woodstock Nation. Hang in with Nancy Nevins. What a treat. For me, it's been such a treat doing so much Woodstock research. And actually talk to someone who performed and what a wonderful person. She's also going to be part of the Woodstock Nation documentary celebrating the revolution, evolution, the life changing magic of music festivals from Woodstock to today. Woodstock Nation, the podcast is in association with Woodstock Nation, the documentary to be released in 2019 and brought to you by the wonderful people at Green Age Development. Any music used in the Woodstock Nation podcast is owned by the artist and is used for educational and illustration purposes only. It's been a lot of fun. This is it. This is the 50th anniversary week of Woodstock. And it's always fun to talk about the magic of music festivals. And we're still going to do that as we go on because life goes on. And so do we here at Woodstock Nation. And we will talk to you again next week. Take care and peace.
1: Peace, love, and thanks for being part of the tribe. From Marla Davies and everyone here at Woodstock Nation. Tune in, turn on next week. It's not easy being the one everyone counts on to keep your operation running, no matter the weather or supply chain hiccup. But we get you, Raymond in Buffalo, Maria in Miami, and Jules in Troy. Taking control of everything that's under your control. At Granger, we're here for you with high quality supplies for every industry, plus real time product availability and access to experts ready to help. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.